So what's my future? You don't have one. I see you, but you can't see me. Halloween Horror Nights Orlando has mastered the art of the scare. We'll cover each year of this amazing event one by one, picking through the bones and uncovering its past. So join us now as we open another tomb inside the catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights. Welcome to this episode of the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights. This episode is titled The Icons. I am Matt, and joining me once again is my good friend, co-host, and about to be caught up on The Icons partner, Quint. Hi. I was really trying to fit another title in there. I was like, I got nothing. That's what that long pause was about. You can always go with asshole. (laughs) Well, that's usually, that's like default. That's like mister to me. Oh, right. Yes. So, why are we doing an Icons episode? Well, this is because there's been something spotted at Universal the weekend of this recording that makes not doesn't make me believe it shows me that Quint needs to know who these people are. Now, I have not shared this with you, Quint, because I know you want to go into this as spoiler-free as possible. Yes. So, I won't tell you what I saw. I'll just tell you it's important to know who these people are at this point. Oh, damn so, it. Now, detail- you're not going to spoil that part. Ah. Uh, no, I'm not. Detail- well, by the time this episode releases, it- details will certainly be out. That okay. Everyone will know what this is because we've- we're recording a lot uh, in one sitting because we need to have a clean plate come September 18th when the event starts because we've got a lot of coverage to do. And this will probably take us up to that. So even though everyone listening at this point will know exactly where and how and in what regard the icons are going to appear quint does not so i'm that's why i'm not giving that detail quite yet yeah i'm an idiot <laughs> i mean i'm ignorant well you started i mean if anyone that's joining us on this episode which is always a possibility for any show quint has really experienced one icon and it's kind of like the lost icon it's almost like the transition year icon so you've experienced lady the lady luckier so you don't you have not gone through the icon era no not at all and 25 is going to be i think real nostalgic for the icon so i want to make sure you know what you're looking at when you get to this particular whatever it is love it i don't know how else to say these words so you already know jack's story we did a whole episode on jack and certainly deservedly so so we do know Jack. Yes. Well, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So you also know who Chance is. Now, this is, uh, don't know. It wouldn't surprise me to see her or not see her, but I'm hoping to see her in a way Sero and Disney has told me we're going to see her, and that has not been revealed as of this recording. So I can't, I don't know why I keep building up to things that I can't don't follow me. through on. Damn it. Yeah, so, okay, and as far as Eddie goes, I think I told you enough about Eddie that if he was to have an appearance, you you know Eddie, so I'm not going to, that was in our 2001 coverage, so if you haven't heard that and you don't know who Eddie is, it's kind of in our, our, it's pretty much our opening piece of that, so you know, I think you know enough about Eddie to go through that, but. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually, I. One of the things that I hope to see is is the the resurgence of Eddie. Yes, yeah, I think a lot of people do. I think this will be the year they if if they're going to be successfully finally bring him back in a big way. This this could be it. I don't know. So we'll now, what if that script that we found 
is the opening for this year. Oh, see, uh, I I could see not the in, the way it ends, but I could see that being incorporated because there's no way it would be the demise of Jack. Jack would be on top of the ending of that. Hmm. Interesting. I could see them incorporating a large piece of that into it. That could be. All right. Anyway, so now we've got a whole list of icons to go through. And yes. I'm not going to, so just to preface it for anyone that knows Halloween Horror Nights well, I'm not really going to talk about much uh, much about their mazes or their reappearances past their introduction. We're going to get more into that for sure when we do those years. And there are a couple of characters that we are going to do a profile like Jack because their stories are so good. But I will give you what you need to know. This is a certainly a what you need to know episode for you, Quinn, and for everyone else listening. Cool. So with all that, we'll get started here. We are going to start. We're going to actually go chronologically here. And the next icon that we're going to come up on is from Halloween Horror Nights 12. And he is called The Caretaker. Okay. And this is another year I'm really looking forward to, not only because of him, but because of the venue change. And this isn't a spoiler for the show. We now move from Hollywood Studios to Islands of Adventure in 12. Really? Yes. Wow. And in fact, just to give you a little preview of the story, uh, in between 11 and 12, Christy had thought she might not go anymore, but like get me into employee preview and then and then go home. That all changed when it was Islands of Adventure. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I need to see how this works. Yeah, no so, kidding. So yeah, yeah, it was a new resurgence for her before she stopped going. So, but we'll get we'll get a lot more into that. Then. So, but let's talk about the caretaker first. Here's a description of him. He is this uh, decrepit, uh, older gentleman with long, long gray hair. He wears a very old fashioned. Almost tuxedo, a suit, not quite a tuxedo, but it does have a black tie and a top hat. It's a very, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a caretaker. Yes. A costume sort yes. of thing. And these, the suit. To top it all off, these white, gray, almost dead eyes. Yeah. So his name is Dr. Albert Kane. And he was once a very well respected surgeon. He, as his life as a surgeon, he became had developed this huge obsession about the workings of the body. And in particular, what was it about the human body that he was missing when he worked on a patient that he couldn't save? Mm. So he really became obsessed of what that spark of life is. What is it that really causes people to die? Why can't he figure this out? He knows how things work. He knows he's a good surgeon, but why are people dying? So he kind of retired from surgery to investigate this. But he still needed to make a living. So he became the caretaker of Shady Oak Cemetery in Williamette Valley. And while at that cemetery, he had, you know, pretty much a buffet of deceased to experiment with and try to find out what this piece was. Almost like a Dr. Frankenstein thing going on. Got it. So he's as the more he worked, he still wasn't getting the answer. So he started to bring in some like-minded individuals to help him out with this. And he threw almost through almost like as weird as it sounds parties. It's like you get a bunch of tech people in there trying to problem solve. And we've had not you and I, but we've experienced kind of brainstorming parties. He's having parties to figure this out, making events out of them. Cool. And he eventually called these people like a center part of his family, and they're referred to as the Kane family and these Kane family parties. Well, 
soon he wasn't it, it didn't take him long to find out the disease were not the deceased were not going to give him the answer he needed so he turned to the living and he started out with the homeless and he'd kind of not kind of he would offer them food and shelter and in trade they needed to help him with his work well he was very cryptic about this and of course the work ended up being these horrifying surgeries he would do just this traumatic bodily harm to, to them to see what would happen he was really just trying to find out at what point the body gave up or or how the body contained this mysterious soul so he would do brutal amputations he'd do chemical injections dissections organ removal and all without anesthetic trying to pinpoint what this was that he was missing about life nice yes well, all this came to a bit of a crashing halt for him while two teens were walking through the cemetery, taking a shortcut on the way home, and they stumbled upon one of these parties. And one of the fam- the Kane family members got a little carried away and thought it would be fun to start dancing with one of the decaying corpses they were working on. Well, oh. it is, yeah, and it's, with this whole like overzealous showmanship, he ended up dancing right out the back door and back in the front to kind of scare the party individuals. And the teens saw this oh. and called the police. Yeah. So the police had to launch an investigation based on this information they got. And they certainly found some things they were concerned about and ended up bringing in a, another character in Halloween Horror Nights history, which we'll get to. His name is Chief Brockett. Now, Brockett went to the funeral home in order to arrest the all the residents, including Albert Kane. So, okay. Kane was actually very cooperative, and he actually wanted to share his research and his discoveries with Chief Brockett. Well, Brockett was just... Uh, appalled overwhelmed it's like I, I how on earth are you sharing this information well to to albert kane to the caretakers thought this is he's thought maybe he'd get a new avenue of research but the, the, the exact opposite brockett flooded the newspapers with this information and a lot of these victims were starting to be identified and their families contacted well the the whole red tape of law enforcement, as with any town, was taking too long for the people that were related to these homeless people and found out what the travesties had happened to them, as well as the relatives of the corpses they uh, desecrated. They took matters into their own hands, and they stormed the funeral home and violently killed everybody there. And Got it. Right. And it's part of the, the final bit, they, they burned the entire house down. So does it was Kane inside the house? Well, here you go. I'm glad you uh, asked that because after the fire settled, after all the police rope was lowered and they started to take a look, they couldn't find this body. They also couldn't find the body of his daughter, Cindy. But what they did find was an elaborate system of tunnels that started in the basement of the house and went out to the graveyards. Now they managed to trace all these tunnels to the graves that they robbed but there was a couple of paths that kind of went out and were collapsed behind them. So they presumably associated that with the disappearance of Kane and Cindy and they were never found. So, um, Hmm. Many questions like, <laughs> okay, where would the daughter come from? Because damn. Okay. Um, we'll get into that. There's okay. a reason for the daughter. All right. And it's not a, I, I haven't filled that gap. Uh, so 
let's just see. As far as the story goes, in fact, that's really about all the story. The as, once the uh, once the uh, remnants of the house were bull- bulldozed down and and everything else, there was uh, never did find Albert Kane or or Cindy. Always been strange reports of the of that area, but but never found. And that is his backstory. And it also leads to one of the more chilling commercials I've ever seen for Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, God. And I'll post that. And it is a black and white photo. And there's a, a gentleman that's strapped down in every way possible. And I think tape over his mouth. And there's Albert Kane going through these most horrific devices, surgical devices, going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Catch a victim by the toe. If he hollers, cut him slow. <laughs> and then eeny, meeny, miny, when he says mo, are the largest, most painful looking, cutting, scissorous type oh. things you've ever seen. And he holds them up and he just goes, mo. And that's the end of the commercial. Nice. Now, okay. So, Cindy, I'm glad you said that because that was my next note. Cindy, you can't talk about Albert Kane without Cindy because, and again, this is something we'll explore more when we get to 12, but it's, I have to point it out to you because I think you're going to need to know this because I think there's going to be a little girl running around him that you need to know about. As far as Halloween Hard Nights history goes, this was the icon for 12 for the longest time. Her name was just Cindy. And the idea was that she had these supernatural powers that her imagination and her imaginary friends would come to life. So she would think of these things and they would come to life. And that was what Halloween Horror Nights 12 was going to be. Okay. Fortunately, that year, I'm very unfortunately, I really don't want to pass this over. There was an unusual amount of disappearances and and terrible things involving children in the news. So they changed Cindy to Albert Kane, but because Cindy already appeared on a lot of marketing things, they just rolled her into as his daughter, as far as the story went. Okay. So she's still, she has made several appearances actually throughout the years. And again, we'll get to those. We're not going to that much detail, but, but her, this, her story is, as they kind of held on to her story that she still has this supernatural ability to conjure up things. And they're usually horrific. And the fact that she's Albert Kane's daughter you know, then the household she was raised in really lends into that story really well. Cool. So that is Cindy. And what she looks like, she looks I mean, uh, like what well, you would think of a little girl, pale faced, glowing eyes, dark hair. The it's, uh, Wednesday Adams. I just yes. thought of that. Wednesday Absolutely. Adams with a different haircut, even though it's still black. Yep. So look out for the caretaker and Cindy caretaker for sure. I know that. Are you in 25? Yes. I can't I wish I could. I wish you weren't going spoiler free this year, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm sure where we will see him there, there is the opportunity to see Cindy would not surprise me. That's great. So moving on the Halloween Horror Nights 13, and this is one of the icons I was really looking forward to. Cause at the time it was something that was right up my alley. His name was the director. Oh, and okay. To look at him, he's got he's got a, a similar. Uh, he's in a ill-fitting black suit, no tie, greasy hair, unshaven. Looks very unkempt, and this just the same dead gray eye. He he's uh, this. He already looks creepy. He looks like a creep, <laughs> like a real life creep. Right. His backstory really lends itself to it. His his real name is is uh, Paulo um, Paulo Ravinsky. He was born in Eastern Europe, 
And he has a very interesting start to his film career. He started as a snuff film director. Oh, good. Yeah, so pretty much he didn't work into this. He just hit the ground running as a psycho. Yeah. His debut movie, first one I ever made, was called The Window's Eye. It was so disturbing and grotesque that even the people that would watch this movie, the community that watched this movie were so appalled by this, they ended up running him out of his own country. Okay. Yeah. No details on what the film is, and frankly, that's okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, no need. (laughs) So after he left, he had still worked on his craft. Some more examples of his art, as he would call it, were uncovered, including titles like The Bloodletting and Death Procession. So as for his Halloween Horror Night storyline, he was hired by Universal Studios to film his newest horror film at Islands of Adventure. It was going that was going to be the setting of his film. Uh-huh. So he turned the park into the set of his horror movie. Got it. To come alive from all perspectives as he filmed everything. Now, of course, Universal Studios didn't really know that this guy <laughs> see what, what kind of filmmaker he was and that the, this was going to be uh yeah some real yeah. life shit going on. So that is the director. The story isn't extensive. It's more the idea of him that carried over into making mm-hmm. him a icon that we're going to see again. Now going on to Halloween Horror Nights 15 and the storyteller. And this is the subtitle of that year was tales of terror. And here's her backstory. Did you enjoy it? That's about what I saw too. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to say that's unfortunate because I think this has been a very underutilized character. There's no backstory per se. There's, she looks creepy. Uh, she dude. looks creepy. Yeah. Let's describe her. I did not do that. So she is an old woman. It's It almost looks like, you know what it looks like? I just thought of this. It looks like what the, the in between the actual ghost librarian and the ghost monster that the ghost librarian and ghostbusters turns into yeah i would also say she looks like the um uh the lady on the the pic the the, the world famous picture of you know the the farmer with the pitchfork and his <laughs> wife yeah right she looks like a demonic version of that that's a good one too yep yep so she's an old wrinkled old lady with these blood colored glasses not quite quite rose colored old great hair pulled back in a bun and a very old old black dress with white lace and she's always seen with a bloodstained book yeah it almost looks i mean just based on on what i'm skimming here it almost looks like the terra queen was more of an icon than than the storyteller that is there's a whole story behind that for 15 when we get to 15 okay and you are absolutely right that is what happened and without getting too much into it, it's like you had, and I, I will tell you a bit here because you asked the question and it's, and it's worth telling. This was a art and design versus marketing issue. Art and oh. design made the terror queen and a fantastic story behind this marketing said, we can't do squat with that. This is what we're going to use. So find a way to put her in. Oh, Yes. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, and I will tell this much more when we get to 15. They could have done it 
there, there, there was an opportunity, I think, to have done this that was overlooked. I'm not going to say they missed it or didn't work on it. I just think it was an angle they didn't think of. And it's so easy for anyone to say 10 years later that you could have done sure. this and the other thing. But, I, but it's like, I have a defense. I'm not saying it to correct any decision they made. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it as a defense to everyone saying she's a terrible character. I'm saying, no, she's not. I'm saying this. If you look at her from this aspect, she's a great character. And I will reveal that in 15. So that's the reason to keep listening to the show after we do our 25 coverage. Okay. So now I will give you some highlights of her character. Cause I think these are aspects that will, we will see in the setting she's in. Her real name is Elsa strict. And there's, like I said, not a much, much of a backstory, but a couple of things worth talking about mainly is that, if you ask her about her backstory, she often turns violent and angry and will threaten you with gruesome death, which I think is kind of alludes to she has a very violent and tragic end that is worth telling that's never been fleshed out. Got it. Uh, there's also kind of a hint, maybe, or maybe it's something I came up with that she has the same kind of similar ability to what I mentioned with with Cindy, where she can conjure up realities of the story she's telling. Oh, okay. Which, if that were true, it would be a opportunity to tie her in with the Kane family. Like, she could be a long-lost mm. relative. So those are really the only two things. Mainly is that she tells gruesome stories, and not a lot's known about her, and it seems like she had a very tragic and violent end to whatever her life was. Got it. Okay. Next up, The Usher, going into Halloween Horror Nights 19. This is subtitled Ripped from the Silver Screens. Now, I am jumping from 15 to 19, mainly because 16 was a, they brought back all the icons we discussed. Then we have a couple of little oddballs here and there that I'll save at the end because they don't have much of a story. I kind of lumped them all into it's a, their own group. Okay. So we'll talk about The Usher from 19. Uh, let me give a description of him best I can. Let me pull up his imagery. Or image. He's he actually best I could describe, and not to use the the general term, but he looks like a mummified usher. It's what I picture you looking like when you worked in theaters. Yeah, except without the hat. We weren't allowed to wear hats. Oh, so yes, he has a an old timey uh, red jacket, button down jacket, black bow tie, and then the hat and a flashlight, and it kind of looks like the the dried out skin of a mummy to me. Yeah. And his backstory, his real name is Julian Browning. And this is an interesting icon because he was actually created to tie together. He's kind of like, I don't want to compare him to Jack. I want to compare the need for him for Jack because Jack was, I mean, sorry, for Jack in 17. I think I told you this before when I did Jack's stories. Jack was used in 17 again to tie together Freddy, Jason, and Leatherface, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Th this year we had the Wolfman, the Benicio del Toro Wolfman, uh, Saw. Billy from Saw mainly and Chucky. Okay. So he was kind of tying all these together by being the usher of this theater where mm -hmm. strange things happen. He was an usher at the universal palace theater. It was an elaborate theater converted from an old playhouse. And he just absolutely loved movies and loved working there. And the movies he enjoyed most were horror movies and became somewhat of an expert on the subject. He was also incredibly strict to anyone that was rude, loud, talked, or interrupted moviegoers of any kind. Now, during a re-release showing of his favorite movie, the Lon Chaney Sr. version of Phantom of the Opera, 
Julian began to fight with a rude patron, a guy who was talking during the film. Well, in the melee, the patron grabbed his flashlight and threw it, threw it through the screen, tearing a hole in it. Well, blinded by his absolute rage and anger, Julian went backstage to retrieve his flashlight as he was not thinking and not looking where he was going, ended up getting tangled in the old playhouse curtain ropes and ended up strangling himself to death. Since then, many mysterious deaths happened at the Universal Palace Theater, and some say the building's cursed, and others say it's Julian and acting as revenge. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. So it really sounds like, oh, and from the note I'm seeing here, that there was a huge nod to Phantom of the Opera here. Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. And that's why they, that seems to be why they used Phantom of the Opera as his as favorite his backstory. Film. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so this was, I mean, he, He's a visually cool character, and people seem to like him. I haven't really even discussed him in other forms and whatnot, but it's it's one of those ones that came out of necessity, and in, in this case, seems to have worked out. Yeah. I, I At first, I was like, oh, this seems kind of like a boring icon, but it... Um the the end of it or the story of it and the and the impl- uh, application of it i guess um is better than what you first think of when you when you hear it right you're right and and it'll actually seem even better as we talk about how it relates because they do tie him in sort of into the rest of the event so otherwise he sounds like just kind of the sad sack victim but he was a good icon for the year but i wanted to give you his visual and his backstory because i know again this is something you're going to see Cool. So that's actually all the ones I know for 25 you're going to see without getting into details once again. But if they're going to do <laughs> what they're doing, I think there's going to be a place for the other icons as well. So I wanted to go through, even though those are the ones I know for a fact you need to know, I want to go through the rest as well, at least the big okay. ones. Now, so I'm going to jump back a year to Halloween Horror Nights 18, Reflections of Fear, and talk about Bloody Mary. Now, I, I'm going to tell you right now that Bloody Mary is going to be an episode on its own because it is extensive. The backstory is so good and so detailed. We're going to talk about this much like we did the one with Jack. Sweet. But I'm going to give you the short, short, short truncated version. And uh, I left out. I, I don't think I left out any details that you want to understand, but I left out a lot that uh, is going to. This is not going to spoil that episode. This will give you what okay. you need to know. That's what I'm trying cool. to say. Okay, so it all starts off with a teacher in 1908 named Mary Worthington. Now, it was she was murdered, and it was presumed she was murdered by her students. Presumed because the body was never found, but all the other evidence remained in the schoolhouse, and it all pointed to the the students. Okay. Now she was survived by her daughter Marie Agena. Now, Marie Agena also had a daughter herself, and she her name was Mary Agena, and she grew up to be a psychiatrist. So, in this version of the story, this truncated, we're going to jump right to Dr. Mary Agena's story. So, she, upon her mother's death, Marie, she receives a set of silver heirlooms that have been handed down through generations of her family, not just starting with Mary Worthington, but as far as... Dr. Mary or Dr. Agena can remember she saw them and her grandmother's, she saw her grandmother owning these. So she inherited these silver heirlooms. Okay. Now, up to this point, Dr. Agena, she was a fairly normal psychiatrist. She, maybe she had some odd ideas here and there, but nothing that really raised any red flags. Well, after she got these heirlooms, and held on to them for a little while, 
her method started to get a little unorthodox. In mm. fact, her new focus was to specialize in treating fears and phobias. And the way she did it was kind of through immersive, if not almost intrusive attempts at cures. Okay. Yeah. So in your case, as a prime example, you'd probably be locked in a house of clowns and forced to live there until you weren't afraid of clowns anymore. Yeah. I figured that one would do it. You know, honestly, these methods are not going to work. (laughs) You know that. I know that. Dr. Agnew didn't know that at the time. So soon, (laughs) and soon after these methods were introduced her patients started to either turn up dead or missing altogether okay now i'll tell you this just to give you a little little glimpse into the future i have all her patient stories for that special oh my god yeah and they're good they're good awesome but beyond that there was a to find out what was going on a private investigator was brought into this whole world his name was boris schuster and his plan was to get a man on the inside, and he hires a gentleman named Charlie McPherson, who's a photographer, and he was going to pose as a patient to get some insider information. Okay. So as time passed, more patients went missing. Dr. Agonis starts to get these feelings of paranoia on top of everything else. She's actually starting to get a feeling that she's being watched through a mirror specifically. Those are her paranoid feelings. Uh, disappearances grow. They are tied back to her patients. The private investigator, Bob Schuster, goes to confront her because actually I skipped this part of my truncation. I will tell you that McPherson goes missing. I won't tell you what happened until we get to her special. But between all this, Schuster, Boris Schuster, goes to confront her. When he arrives at her office, he finds an incredibly bloody crime scene, but no body. Mm. Much like what happened to her grandmother, Mary Worthington. Mm -hmm. So not satisfied with any explanation he's coming with on her death, Schuster keeps investigating the case, even though he's tie legal ties to it are gone. So he ends up starting his own organization and continues studying this. And he starts to find out that the urban legend of bloody Mary seems to have a resurgence Around the same time, everything, something tragic happens with a female in Dr. Agnes' family history. Mm, okay. So to study this further, Schuster starts his own organization called Legendary Truth, the Collective. And in parentheses here for you, this is another thing we'll talk about. I'm not even going to give you a, a, a rundown on this because we'll be here another hour. All right. So he starts Legendary Truth to investigate this, not only this, but other unexplained and supernatural occurrences. So, in 2008, we are now hitting the 100th anniversary of Mary Worthington's death. And again, there's a new resurgence of Bloody Mary, the Bloody Mary legend. And it. it all seems to be centered around Orlando, Florida. Yep. Of course it does. You can cross the bridge at this point. Yep. Without getting into the whole story, that's Bloody Mary for Halloween Horror Nights. That's, that's fun. And that's not even the details of it, so... But let's move on here. Yeah, I don't want to linger too long on any one thing because this is, again, this is just the things you need to know. Fear. Icon named Fear from Halloween Horror Nights 20. 20 years of fear. I don't know that we're going to see him. Now we're getting into a list that's less likely to happen, but you never know. You hmm. never know. So fear. First, first picture I saw of him, kind of, I was expecting, I am Groot. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it's actually that's pretty damn good. He's uh, demonic. He's got wings. He's his head is like veiny and not bulbous. I don't know what you would call that. No, it's almost like a like a a, a, a fleshy flame motif going on. Yeah, his eyes eyes are blacked out, almost sewn shown sewn shut. And but the cool thing about him, and I don't know, depending on what site you're looking at, he was a stilt walker icon. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was like, yeah. So um, again, I don't think I see him, but I don't want to. Uh, overlook anything we need to know. So I'll give you a brief rundown of him. Uh, he, this actually, he does not, his story might be another episode because the whole story of fear involves all the other icons, which I have not mentioned in Jack's story. I haven't mentioned it in Eddie's story. In fact, well, I don't think it includes Eddie, but I haven't mentioned the other stories. I may tell this story separately to you when we're on our off season. All right. But, um, to go past that this is a this is the short short version as well this is even more truncated than bloody mary this is just about fear i'm not even gonna include the other icon story so anyone that's looking for that i'm sorry i don't have that we'll, we'll do that later because it is worthy of its own episode so fear was revealed to be the mastermind behind all the 19 years of horror that preceded halloween horror nights 20 Ooh. he would influence the art and design team through a prop what they thought was a prop a prop lantern in their that they kept in their offices and okay. early, in early that's two, that's actually a cool little yeah tweak yep in early 2010 the art and design team pulled out 20 photographs from past halloween horror nights and each they pulled them out because they noticed that one photo in every file including the file they started had this weird burn mark in it well they, they, as they were setting them down pulling them out because they couldn't use them for any publicity or anything. They started to realize as one would touch the other, there was a pattern emerging. So they started to shift all the photos around. And when they completed this puzzle of sorts, as soon as the last picture was put in the right place, the lantern engulfed in flames and it released fear into Halloween Horror Nights. Uh-huh. And we learned that all these icons, the people that art and design thought they were making up were just Actually, not just, but were actually his minions <laughs> setting up for his arrival. Now, who was what as far as their job? That's where we're going to get more in depth when we get into the fear special. Got it. Okay. So, damn, Jack's boss, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I think in, uh, actually someone asked why we didn't do this story in Jack's story because I think this is one of those retcon situations where jack is no longer or we're going to ignore the fact that jack was working for someone else in 25 and jack's just his own same thing so i didn't think that was worth and maybe to my maybe my mistake wasn't worth telling in the jack special leading into 25 but this is something we will tell later on okay cool okay next up lady luck the only one you've actually ever seen yes i have seen lady luck poor lady luck actually i'll get into why she's poor, poor lady luck she is let's give her a description she is well she's got several well two forms that we've seen one is the redhead in a green dress mm-hmm. and who can ask for more in my opinion yeah yep uh very pretty very mm. seductive looking then there's the other one where she's demonic with these jagged, horrid teeth that just God, will yeah. tear through your flesh. It's like, no, I did not want to kiss that. Just no. <laughs> <Right? Did I? laughs> so poor lady luck. She is just the most 
uh, hated might be a strong word, but the least liked icon. And I don't know that I, I mean, I, I like what I like, so I'm not going to sit and defend and say it's unfair. It's just, it's when, when people talk about the icons, they always like always have a snide remark for lady luck. So poor, poor lady luck. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I don't understand why people don't like her, but she was the only icon I saw. It was my first Halloween Horror Nights. I will always have a special place for Lady Luck. Well, this was, it was unfortunate as far as her use of an icon. She was used on all the advertising. She was used on all the media events, and it's really weird. It's like a guy I know pretty well was in one of the commercials, and I'll give you the commercial. It's weird seeing him in this situation. He was, oh no, I'm sorry. He was on a news report as a victim. And I was like, wow, that's really weird to see him in this situation. Right. So she was used for all the marketing and advertising is, is my point. Um, but when it came to the event and we'll get, I, mean, I don't know how much we'll actually really get into this in 21. When it came to the event, she didn't have a scare zone. She didn't have a maze. Yeah, she, she had an area. She had like a, almost like a photo op slash meet and greet area and it was i mean it's like it was really a very odd use of an icon yeah i i agree she was very underused yeah so it's not her fault that people don't like her it's just she was used they tried something again i don't necessarily know this was a year they were gonna they it was gonna be the end of the icon era and they were gonna move in it into this kind of combined original and commercial ip era just as an unfortunate so i think she gets a, a bad rap I talk to her like she's a real person. Give <laughs> me <at> here. <laughs> anyway, so her story, it, it's funny though, because her story actually ties, and the reason she doesn't have her own house in Scarezone is that her, her story does tie directly into 21. And we will, she's not going to have her own special, but how that works is going to be told when we cover that year because there is a backstory involving Lady Luck with every maze that year. Right. So, but what she is, I mean, I gave her the description. I, I, I would hope if they're going to do all these other oddball icons I'm listing here, I hope they'd have a pretty redhead in a green dress that night. Even just as a, a nod, right? Yes, just exactly. One, yep. Yep. One pretty girl in a green dress that it's just a nod to, to, yes, she was there and yes. uh, we tried something that didn't work, but you know. Yeah. I, that's exactly what I'm saying. I agree. So, uh, she was a even better. Hmm, yeah. I just had a thought. Okay. What if, what if we replaced the nurses with lady luck? Mm. That's not bad. Yeah. Cause that was, if and if you know the story of her, of messing with her, which I'm about to tell, you'd think twice about getting a drink or you'd actually get <laughs> one faster. Oh yeah. So she was, what she was, was a shape shifting succubus that she, her birth of existence was the moment man took any risk. Anytime he decided to work against what was <laughs> obviously the proper thing to do or an odds or like I said, taking a risk, that's when she came into existence. Cool. Uh, at first sight, she's beautiful, seductive, definitely mysterious, but anyone that gambles with her and loses, it's a loss, usually a loss of your life because she changes into a monstrous form that would describe to collect her winnings. So this is kind of like getting married. <laughs> That's the best thing you've said on any show we've ever done. <laughs> and thank God neither of our wives listen to this. Yeah, well. <laughs> so. Actually, my wife does. Oh, she does? Oh, well. Uh, hey, he said it, not me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just going to get smacked again. It's <laughs> right? fine. Not the first time. I've seen it. Not the last time. So Now, the specifics of what have ha- has happened to people as, when they've gambled against her, that that is what 21 is kind of about. And I think it was kind of lost. It, it was, again, it was a, it was more of a high concept than I think was translated into reality. I mean, I think the hardcore 21 or the hardcore Halloween Horror Nights fans got it, but it's someone walking in off the street would have never tied the two together without studying the Too event. much help. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So again, not expecting to see her necessarily, but I, I, I hope I hope to. And and I'm sure we'll get into this more when we do the 2011 year. But um, I do remember being somewhat confused and and disappointed with what went on, right? With with her specifically. Yes, yeah. Because I, once we decided to go, I would forward you every single thing and here, and it's all it is literally all centered around her. Yeah. And then you get there and it's like, and if you didn't know to look for it in Azerman's, you'd never saw her. Yeah. And then it was just really, really difficult to yep. to put together. Yes. I mean, I, I only had that in, in retrospect, like the night after we went and stuff yes, when I right, was yep. like looking at it again, because the, the first time you ever go to a Halloween horror nights, no matter how much somebody <laughs> tries to prepare you with with it you're just going to be complete in complete sensory overload and you're not going to be thinking about those kinds of things at all that is true and it, you only think about it later yep absolutely right yep okay last but probably least actually and this is it's debatable whether or not this is an icon but uh, if they're if, if they get lady luck there's, there's, they could have this guy this is called the patient and this is from Halloween Horror Nights 14. And this is a bald guy in a straitjacket you may have seen while we were doing research from this show. Mm, I'm not sure. Okay. Now, whether or not he's an icon or not is debatable. What he was was the advertising s- symbol. Oh, okay. So I, I actually just went to the year and that, that looks, yeah, I don't know anything about this. Okay. So he's, okay. He's now, okay. Not sure what he is, but he was he was used in all the commercials. He was used in, used in the print. He was used on the billboards. He's the cover of the of the event guide, and he was on the website. And I mentioned that only because this is my biggest six degrees of separation to Halloween Horror Nights. At least that I can tell is is this the guy on the website, the patient on the website, mm-hmm. is the same man I bought my first house from in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see why you had to include it. Yes, I had to say yeah. the website. So yeah. Okay, so now, okay, uh, he is a character for a house, and it was the Disorientarium, or dis. I always fuck this up, Disorientorium. Okay. That's the name of one of the mazes. And his story didn't really play out in the maze, but there was, this is the, the heyday, this is almost like a sub-era of the Icon era, when they really had fun with the websites, where it's like Universal's like, yeah, you can put a website up, and didn't really pay attention to what they were doing, and they just went nuts with it. Cool. And 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 if you, you click on this like weird symbol that looks like it shouldn't have anything to do, like it's just part of the website, but it's actually a link, if you link to it, you get all this awesome backstory information that you wouldn't normally get. And one of them was this dude's desk. And oh. yes, and the the uh, the guy's name is John Murdy, which is seriously ironic because it's this. And I don't know that this is intentional. I want to think it is because I don't know the history of Hollywood. John Murdy is the name of the creative director for Halloween Horror Nights Hollywood. Oh right, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it could be. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I like to think it is. But you go on his desk and you see like the events of like 
the past maybe two months of this dude's life unfold and it's all related around this maze there's a uh, a local attraction called the disorientorium that he visits once and you you learn this by scrolling through his his palm pilot (laughs) <laughs> like it's you have to click. You really have to find this stuff, and it's all there to find. So you click through his palm pilot, and he's like, and he's a, he was an accountant, and he like he he clicks through. He's like, oh, visited Disorientorium to talk about their books. Looks like a neat place. Next day is like finally got to visit the actual or experience the Disorientorium. Cannot wait to go back, and it gets increasingly obsessive and increasingly dark. And then the last bit, the second last entry to his palm pilot has drips of blood on it, like it fell out of his nose. And the very last entry has a bullet hole through his palm pilot okay it's quite dark and quite immersive and a really really intriguing story cool and that's really about it for him i mean i have the exact uh steps of his digression in when we get to that episode because it fall it, it's it's an aspect of the house that if you go into it knowing gives a whole new light to that maze right and I know I said house and maze in there, so sorry about that. I'm trying to <laughs> get myself no, off the word house. It's, it's <laughs> so, so that. But I, I really think it's a long shot. We'll see him. But if we're going to see all the other ones I mentioned before that, it wouldn't be a big surprise to see him. Okay. So yeah. apart from that, those are the all, all the icons you don't know. I mean, there's also the Crypt Keeper. He's not part of the icon era, but he was an icon. And of course, Jack, and of course Eddie. So now you're caught up. You just sat through the lecture icons 101. Cool. It's it's uh, there's so much stuff that I've missed, but it's going to be fun to at least get a taste this yep. year. I can't tell you that all these backstories will be involved in what I saw, but I didn't eh. want to. Uh, no, but it's just it gives you some background yep. into into the characters and what to expect from them and, and exactly. all that kind of yep. fun if, stuff. If this particular thing does involve them, it'll just you'll make you appreciate you more. Is it's better in, in this situation when you're talking about a nostalgic a piece what do you call this a nostalgic attraction in this event it's better to know more than less i think to I, get an appreciation out of it i don't no. think these i don't classify these really as spoilers because no no it's, it's a, yeah it's need to know information no. it's it, yeah this is like nod to the fans that have been around for the, this long and that have gone way longer than i have so yeah yeah getting all this information is gonna make it more fun than than the other way around yeah all right. Oh, that is that's it for the icons. That's everything I could put together without getting too long. We're just about at their normal episode length, so that worked out well. I'm glad I truncated Bloody Mary because at first it was twice as long as all the other notes put together. <laughs> she sounds like an interesting character. Yeah, that is a cool year. That's a cool year as far as that's that's uh oh we'll get to that. I don't want to talk too much about that. So that is it. We are now now at this release. Uh, if you're hearing this episode, we are about to break into our 25 coverage, starting with some pre-episodes, kind of a warm-up, like a pre-game without the alcohol, though. I'm sure Quinn and I might be drinking while we record, not saying we do or don't. And, no, uh, I'm saying we do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And there is one thing I wanted to say, because I think the next, uh, if it's not the next episode after this release, it's going to be the one in two weeks. We are doing a our, our top favorite memories of Halloween Horror Nights, not what we talked about, but what we actually experienced, and and we're just we're going to narrow it to five, or else we will be talking for ages. So that well, only leaves if we didn't if we didn't narrow it to five, mine would probably encompass all of 2011, 12, 13, <laughs> yep. 14, and whatever's coming. Right. Yep. So, so what I'm saying is, is that it's going to be a little short on time. So we want to hear your favorite moments to add 
and include on that program. So if you have a favorite moment you'd love to share with us, like anything, scare zone, house, just the anticipation of buying tickets, the feeling you got when you made that purchase, anything you have to share that is your absolute favorite moment of your experience with Halloween Horror Nights, please share it with us. You can share it with us at Facebook at facebook.com slash Neozaz podcast or a message or even post on Twitter. Our account is at Neozaz. Better yet, so that you are able to express how much this memory means to you, email us at C-O-H-H-N. That's for Catacombs Halloween Horror Nights. C-O-H-H-N at Neozaz.com. And we anything you tell us, we will happily include, include in that episode. That is really our warm-up episode for the event. And that is, once we get that done, I will, I don't think I'll sleep that night because I'll be still ready for 25. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that is it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and we will be back and see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast. The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights is a Neozaz Internet Entertainment production. For more great podcasts and original entertainment, visit our website at neozaz.com. The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights is not affiliated with nor endorsed by Universal Studios Florida. All Halloween Horror Nights properties, icons, titles, events, and related items are property, trademark, and copyright, Universal Studios, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. For more Halloween Horror Nights coverage, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and follow our Twitter account at Neozaz. To help support the series and all the work we do at Neozaz, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Thanks for listening. 